and welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogel. My guest today is Kevin Griffin. Now Kevin, the founding member and lead singer of the band Better Than Ezra, he's also set to release his debut solo album called Anywhere You Go, October 4th. I was able to listen to it, it's absolutely fantastic. Kevin talks about writing for himself as opposed to writing for the band. He also is an accomplished songwriter for many other artists. We talk about the band's inception, just we get into some of the meaning behind some of their songs. He was a very, very funny guy, very thoughtful guy. We talk about the business in general, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Kevin. Anywhere You Go, your debut album comes out October 4th. Uh, heard a couple of tracks from it. it. Sounds fantastic. Can't wait to hear the rest. Um, what was the inspiration for the album? members can do it. I mean, you certainly can. I mean, One artist in particular that I really like is Howie Day. You know, he had this song Collide, which is a big hit. But my f- favorite song of his, not only of his, but one of my all-time favorite songs is Perfect Time of Day. I, it's a fantastic ah. song. Um, what's like the story behind it? Because I, I might interpret it a little differently than what it was meant to be. <laughs> Still racing It's the perfect 
uh, and I think we'd been, uh, it was, we, it may have been some holiday and we'd all just, we'd all, <laughs> we'd all kind of been drinking all day. Right. And, uh, we were in Gulf Stores, Alabama and I just had this idea for a song and I had my acoustic, I was by myself. I, it was before I, you know, cause I brought the idea to Howie, um, and I just started with those those chords, just the A minor, that open that open uh, chord progression, A to G and F, and um, you know. But lyrically, um, you know, you I guess it would really be how he was kind of set on some of the lyrics. Um, so I'm not sure what his thoughts were. Right. Um, but, it, but it was really just more like. Um, any time is the perfect time to make transitions of your life in your life, um, and rather than just than just waiting and procrastinating, um, and that was really where my head was uh, with the lyrics. Right. Okay. I because you know, some of the lyrics. You know, I mean, you know, go ahead. I was going to say because some of the lyrics. I mean, it just seems like, um, and I'm you know I don't want to offend anybody, but it just seems like a uh, guy is. Be- you know, being a little forceful on a on a woman. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. Okay, uh, good. That's not where the good. song is about. Okay. The song is about at all. That's okay. interesting. That is, that's one of your favorite songs. And I, yeah, and I, I don't want to you know seem I'm that that type of guy because I'm not. It's just it's it could be perceived that way, and I, I just I'm glad I got to speak to well, you know people, some of the writers. It's interesting. People always uh, always. Uh, had their own interpretation of songs, right? Um, it's really just more. It was more about uh, telling someone, you know, to to get out of their malaise and get out of their their uh, just uh, their uh, situation, okay, and and move on. And you know, the end is the beginning. Uh, you know. The last day of your life, you know, it's the last day of the life you've been living. Move on, you know, do something that it's really more of a uplifting um, message. Oh, okay, perfect. My, my okay, perfect. Okay, because um, Bjork, I, I don't know if you're a fan of Bjork, I am. There's a song that she wrote called Army of Me, and it's, it's a similar, like, oh, I love it, yeah, yeah, whereas basically she wrote the song for her brother. Basically, he was based, you know, in malaise, doing nothing, and it's like you better change your life, or you're gonna feel an army of me, meaning herself, come down on you. So, okay, I, I can see the similarities now. Yeah, that, that, that's what the, that's what the vibe was. Um, but truth be told, I, I, I haven't listened to the song in so long. I need to listen to the lyrics and see where you, you can get that kind of interpretation. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple lines, and I was just like, oh, okay. I mean, just you know, just the chords are great. The music, I mean, most of I mean, it's I love that song. So if anyone doesn't really know Howie Day or that song, just check it out because he's fantastic. It's a, it's a good one. That whole album, the uh, that whole album is so good. It was produced by a guy named Flood. No, we're actually Youth. Um, those uh, those odd producer British producer names, but uh, who worked um, with the Verve and. He's actually he used to be the bass player for a band called Killing Joke. Oh yeah. But he produced that album. He produced that album for Howie, and it's a beautifully produced album. Yeah, totally, totally. Now, like you said, you mentioned you got you know you were just I was nice day outside drinking, pick up your guitar. Does your songwriting process change at all? Do you have a particular process for writing songs? 
You know, it it happens all different times. It's it's all it's it's always a uh, it's always in uh, in process. I guess I'll, I'll be I'll hear a song on the radio that makes me that I'll sing a melody over or I'll, or a vibe or a beat, and I'll you know I'm, I've got my my voice memo on my iPhone out recording an idea or writing it down in my notes. Um, you know, playing guitar in the studio. I really don't have any certain process, but right. I'm always, I, I really kind of believe that, that uh, you know, songs are always just flying around you. They're inspiration and, and you've got to, um, you've got to kind of get that butterfly net out and catch it. And my butterfly net happens to be a, a, a voice recorder or uh, my memos. You know, and that's that's how I. Otherwise, you lose that idea. You lose that spark. Epiphany just evaporates into ether, as they say. Right. Now, I'm sure, like when you're writing songs all those years ago, you know there weren't smartphones, so you'd have a pad and pen. Do you have a tape recorder? How how was that process back then? Oh, I had that. You know, for I had it was considered compact, but one of those little cassette recorders. Right. Okay. And so. Um, you know, I always carried mine, and then I would, you know, those 90-minute cassettes, and I would go through those, and then always had this, this time when I had to, like, oh, my God, I got to go. I would sit down with my uh, with my little Moleskine uh, memo book and go through the tapes and write down what were the good ideas, you know, and I mean, that's something I did religiously. I haven't done that in a long time. Right. Uh, you know, well, I, mean, I need to go back and do those ideas. Uh, but uh, the, the good ones always tend to, um, they always tend to bubble up to the top. Right. So a song like, uh, like In the Blood, I'm not sure, was that like an easy one just came up to the top as well? Oh. It's 
The Black Metallic, tremendous song. Yeah, yeah. you know, um, and a lot of people don't know the singer from that band, Rob Dickinson. Yes, Brother Bruce. His brother yeah. is Bruce, exactly. Uh, so if you listen to Captain Wheel and listen to um, even Black Metallic, listen to Black Metallic and In the Blood, you can hear the influence. Okay, totally, yeah. Yeah, both both are tremendous songs. In the Blood is my favorite Uh Better than Ezra's song. Uh, th- that oh, ho- man, thank you. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there's so many to choose from, you know, t- totally. Uh, the first album, Deluxe, I mean, you guys, I you released it independently. You guys were working so hard, you know, all, all those years before Electra picked it up, and then it, it became huge. How many times did you have to answer the question, what does it feel like to be an overnight success? You know, yeah, a lot of, a lot of people <laughs> thought that. It's so funny. Um but, you know, we were a seven-year overnight, you know, success. Um, we started our first, our first rehearsals in 1988, in, our, in March of 88. And then we didn't get signed officially until February of 95. Um, I'm sorry. I'm, yeah, yeah. Started in 88, yes. Seven years of, uh, you know, just kind of fucking away in, in obscurity. Um, so, you know, we, we, we would quickly... Um, we would quickly correct people, but, um, you know, when you come out of nowhere, you know, as far as anybody else knew, or, or the world at large, no one had ever heard of Better Than Ezra, so it, that's to be expected, but we, we certainly let people know that, that we've been doing it for seven years, and, 
um, you know, we, we, and our sound really was the same. It really, it really just the the what people wanted to hear in commercial radio. Jesus, a huge piece of uh, wood just flew out of a the back of a trailer. Oh wow! And it almost hit my truck. Oh jeez. Um, but anyway, anyhow, um, yeah. So. Uh, I'm glad that we had those seven years to, to uh, mature and become a better band uh, for when you know when success happened, we were prepared for. It. Right. Was it was it hard for you guys since you had the album come out and then signed to a major label to have like the record companies kind of like you know metal and give their thoughts? They wanted. You mean did you say metal? Yeah, I mean not not like the metal it's genre, funny. but like you know metal into your you know affairs pretty much. Uh, you know what? We had so much creative control and the label really let us do what we wanted to do. Um, and they, at first they wanted to, I remember, I remember, you know, the deluxe album was already doing well on its own. And, uh, so nothing changed other than, you know, a little bit of the artwork when we went with Electra. Um, and I remember the label wanting to, to edit good, it was three minutes and nine seconds long to edit out one, uh, you know, the, the intro where the bass and the drums are going. And we were like, no, it's right. three minutes and nine seconds. It doesn't need to be any shorter. <laughs> and at the time, that was a very short song. Now songs are two and a half minutes. But, yeah. um, so it was just, you know, people want to, labels and people, they want to put their fingerprints on it so they have a sense of ownership um, but, but we were, uh, we were not keen to do that. Right. Good. Yeah. I, I, yeah. No pun intended, but, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, that album was fantastic besides good, you know, again, the blood, there are so many other great songs, killer inside, uh, city of the sun. I mean, uh, and they always say that you have your whole life to write your debut album and like six months to write your second one. And then friction baby came out with also, I mean, you, you guys, didn't have a sophomore slump, I feel, because that album was fantastic as, as oh, well. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You know, I, I think I think because we we were already playing half that record. I mean, right. So we did deluxe. Those songs were written, and we did it in '93. So we had a few years to write songs and 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 uh, get a sense of what people liked. Right. That's the biggest thing is when you know is when you're writing songs for the new album is like. Playing them um, uh, is the best barometer of do, do people like these songs, and so we were able to do that, and that's why we had songs like King of New Orleans, Desperately Wanting, and stuff like that. Right, and you, you mentioned uh, Desperately Wanting. Um, I'm sure you've been asked this nine million times. I'll ask you again. What's like the meaning behind that song? Pass the road to your house. That you never call Where they turned out your lights Though they say you'll never know I remember running through the wet grass Falling a step behind Both of us never tiring Desperately wanting When they pump 
and how when you would do that, you would, you would never sleep. You would just spend all night running around your neighborhood, you know, getting into mischief. Right. And at the end of the, at the end of the, you know, when you would lay down in the tent, your your uh, your shoes, your tennis shoes, and your jeans or your legs were all wet, and you were bitten up with the mosquitoes because you're running through the wet grass, the the dew, the dew covered grass in your yard and the fields around your house. Um, and that's where that imagery comes from. And it's just about use and, and promise and uh, potential um, and how life ends up taking everybody on its own on their own journey and how some people are fortunate enough for things to go well and other ones not so much. And so it's really like thinking back to a simple time with your friend uh, who is now struggling emotionally and, um, and and just thinking back, wow, when the playing field was even and, and, and life hadn't had its way with you, uh, you know, and, uh, and now, you know, and just being in a new situation that's not so good for this one person and this another person trying to help them. And, uh, you know, it's kind of it. Right. No, it's yeah, it's, it's it's a fantastic and you know very power, powerful song. Uh, like when when you guys were promoting Deluxe and going out, uh, how were doing like those like late night shows and all of that? Any good stories? You know, just hanging out. First TV show we did was the John Stewart show, which okay. you know, but had a brief had a just, just getting to hang out with those guys. You know, Jay, Jay Leno. You know, always had. A denim shirt on with with uh, with an unbuttoned to his belly button, which was like wow, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, please please button up your shirt. Uh, the, the the Letterman show was famously freezing right. in the studio. Oh, yeah. um, it was just, and you're there all day. They don't let you leave because they're scared. You know, they're like it's going to go disappear or something's going to go happen. So they really have you on lockdown. Right. Um, I think if anything, you know. You, you, you perform the song four or five times um, before you actually tape it. Okay. And you do you do a, you do a camera blocking where you do it two or three times so the director figure out figures out how they're going to shoot you. Then you do an audio where they're making sure the audio. So you've done the song, but without fail, I would all, I personally always felt like we would have great performances, and when finally the show came. I would be nervous or something and wouldn't have my best performance. But um, what else? Let's see. Uh, the, the excitement of those shows was uh, was just something uh, to experience. Right. To, to being on Letterman in, in that in that '90s heyday and being on Leno, you know, we were able to do it a lot of times. Um, always good were there any good guests on, on your show <laughs> man who were some of the you know what I, I have to go back and look right um I think we had Julia Roberts okay um but I knew Julia because I used to deliver scripts to her house okay um when before uh, when I was living in LA after I graduated college I was I worked at CAA which is a, a, a talent agency right and um, so, uh, actually, Kiefer Sutherland was one of, one of our shows, Julia Roberts, who else? 
Um, maybe Bob Saget, I think, was on the show. Okay. Uh, yeah, but they were kind of kind of uneventful. The one that was uh, the most fun, I think, is we were in we were in Munich, Germany, and we did a we did a morning uh, show. It was the big morning show, like their version of Good Morning America. Right. And you always you always lip sync those. You don't do anything live. Okay. So we decided, being the brats that we were, that we would. <laughs> they had no idea who we were. So we all switched instruments. I was on the drums. <laughs> uh, Tom was on. Uh, Travis, our drummer at the time, right. was on guitar. Uh, was was on bass. Uh, Tom was on uh, guitar. And uh, we had a. It was. There's actually you can find the video of it um, on YouTube. It's it's kind of funny. Oh, check it out! Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah, but now, yeah, the um, one of my other favorite songs was "One More Murder" off the "How Does Your Garden Grow" album. And I, oh yeah, yeah. I think I first heard that. That was on like the X Files album that that I had. Um, now what? Ha- I mean, like I know that was your last album on Alexa, I believe. Alexa, I believe, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Now, like. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that was like the end of kind of the I guess the beginning of the whole Napster period. You know, when it's like downloads and like buying physical CDs weren't, you know, a thing anymore. Um, how did you guys adjust to that? Um, well, you know, it happened gradually. You know, the uh, the the downturn in the physical sales of records, you know. Right. Uh, while, you know, everyone in the industry was lamenting it, you know, Sean Fanning and Napster and stuff, it, it took a while for that. Really, really to have an impact, but it certainly did. You know, um, we just kind of, we just kept making the music that we wanted to make, um, doing what uh, that we did, and um, you, 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 we, it was, it was remarkable how the uh, the coffers dried up in the in the record industry because when we got signed it was the salad days of the of, of the industry right as far as as, as as what we know what we had known as the industry so money was just flowing um and then it dried up you know it was combined with us not being you know the hot new band anymore plus the industry really tightening its belt um it was a, a pretty stark um switch uh, and everybody dealt with it, you know. The, the, so I think it really hit. Its, it was at its worst, you know, around 2005. Um, and now, you know, the the industry is actually making is posting bigger gains and making more than they they they, they ever did, you know, in the in the old model. The, the labels are making more from streaming. Um, the artists aren't seeing it, but the right. labels certainly are. Um, that's just the way it's always gone. But it, it was it's neat to have written, to been able to see the old model um, and how it is how it is now, and, and to have lived it. And and uh, I, I'm glad that I'm glad. If anything, my biggest takeaway is that um, that bottom line, the consumer wants convenience. Right. What's the easiest way to get what they want? And the easiest way to get music that you want is to stream it. 
and and the and the stealing of it, the bits torrenting and all that, you know, it was so it was so buggy and so sketchy that just people don't want that. Um, so people would rather pay a monthly fee to to, to stream, um, and so that's nice that uh, that free and stealing and that initial rush, that allure. Um, uh, has has uh, has gone the way of the dinosaur, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm old school. I love the physical CDs. Just listening to the CD front to back, and even with some of them back then, even had the liner notes in them, you know, which was great. And you just don't get that now with streaming. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a, it's a shame, you know. You start off. You start off in life thinking that everything gets better with age. You know, we just get better, smarter, more advanced. And that's true with a lot of things. But there's, but there's a lot of things that that disappear. And one of those things that it, it has disappeared is this, is this physical album, the LP. Uh, but but, but the, the CD, you know, which, which is crazy that we're saying, you know, about the CD, which seems like this avant-garde crazy thing right and now seems like it's like a uh a, a dinosaur but just to be able to and what i mean specifically about something that's gone away that was just great is just to have that tangible uh, artifact uh, that tangible proof uh or document of uh of an album being made and the liner notes and the players and the and the zane cues and the lyrics and the photographs of course and the design yeah. all these things were such a was such a, a, a tangible part of the, the listening experience that it's that it's a shame different to go for people not to to uh, to have that. And then also you've got you've got you've got generations of music fans, and they, they don't they don't have any physical ownership of their records. Right. I mean, yes, you can download you could. You know, you could download Spotify and stuff on your phone or whatever uh, offline, but the minute you don't pay that subscription, <laughs> you know, you don't have access to that. So people, uh, you know, you, they don't have music libraries, at least not in the way we know it. So I, I didn't think it's, it's, it sucks, you know, for people. And uh, and that's something that's gone away uh, for the most part uh, um, and that should be limited <laughs> Right, and I even miss the chase of getting that, you know, rare CD or song, you know, finding it in the store, you know, keep going, searching for a store. Well, now it's like you can go to iTunes, you go to Spotify, you can find that song. Or even you are in, you hear a part of the song on the radio, you don't know the name of it because they didn't tell you, and you just remember a couple of the lyrics so you can go quickly to the store to kind of tell the, the salesman the song. Now you have Shazam where you can just hold the phone up in the store, oh, yeah. walk yeah. around, you know, like you're – you know, you you look like a psychopath, and you know you get your song. <laughs> you do, and and what's interesting, you know, but 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 you know, but there's a convenient, you know, it's good, you know, it's a two edged, of course, double edged sword, as as we know, and you know, I, like I love this community of them, um, and it, it, it's it's interesting because a lot of radio programmers um, and, and people in the industry, you know, the, the Shazam algorithm and what songs are picking people's ears. Um, when they hear them, you know, um, uh, and that determines playlists and, right. and, and royalties and all this stuff. So it's crazy. Hey, look, it's it's bigger than that. It, it's the 
you know, it's it's just the age of Google and being up. You know, the the the, the games of trivia in the and barstool conversations all all gone away because it becomes settled unequivocally. Right. Uh, with Google. <laughs> yeah. But oh well. Right. So um, let's back to your songwriting for for a second. We talked about Howie Day earlier. Um, how did you get involved? With other pe- writing other people's songs, did they, how did, did they seek you out, and how did they seek you out? I, I had a friend um, in the business, a, a famous music manager named Alan Kovac, suggested I start writing for other artists, and it was really it was great it was great advice that I that I heeded. He also he managed Meatloaf and Blondie and the Bee Gees at the time, so I ended up writing for those artists and uh, and having success, and then. And then, uh, then younger artists, you know, great artists started seeking me out. Um, that's really having success with them. And uh, so it really, it really, it really was just happened naturally, you know, with, with success engenders success. And uh, when, when you're having a hit, uh, people think you have this kind of hit juice, I guess, or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> right. And, um, uh, and you don't have to dispel them of that notion, and uh, you know you get a lot of work. But uh, so, but I get out too. You know, I I'm working and working with good bands and artists when I'm hustling myself. Right. Yeah. Were there any artists that you weren't fans of before, really didn't know that you became fans of as a result of writing with them? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean like, well you know Howie Day, James right. Blunt, Missy Higgins. Delta Goodrum, um, uh, Sugarland, um, the list goes on. Um, Andy Grammer, um, right. you know, just just meeting them and, and not really knowing their music, knowing their names, but then just realizing what a great artist they are. Uh, so yeah, um, the writing. Has led to friendships and you know and and just uh, and and admiration of this music for sure. Right, and then um, let's talk about your last Bethan Ezra album, which um, I guess was about five year, five years ago now already. Um, Crazy. Yeah, I know the time just <laughs> really flies by all, all together now. Um, which is another fantastic album. It's you know it's very poppy, which I think is probably your first quote-unquote poppy album because you guys just keep changing after every album um is that intentional or i mean because i'm sure you want to draw a new it, fans. It is, you know we 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 um our albums have always reflected our listening our listening taste you know and um or just what we're after or what's 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 exciting us creatively and at the time i was with Cumbin, we were all into that I guess electro pop, you know, yeah. um, and uh, and then and then we work. And also, the producer will affect that. And Tony Hoffer, um, the the guy we worked with, he was, he was so good at that sound. And and that record sounds just that record just sounds amazing. But um, it's one of my favorites. Uh, but you know, we've never been we've never been a band that says, "Oh, it's got to sound a certain way." We just don't do that. I'm interested in that. Um, some bands do it and they do it successfully, but um, I think the continuity comes with my songwriting and my voice and Tom's bass playing, you know, and, and uh, Michael Jerome's drumming, and, and that's where you hear that, oh, this sounds like better than us, right? Um, 
despite the little shifts in production styles. Right, you know that that album is, is fantastic. Uh, you know, Crazy Lucky, I, I love that song. It's it's fantastic, along with you know Sunflowers. It's, you know, it's um, it's, really... it's a really thank you. Uh, we spent a lot of we, we worked hard on that record and uh, very happy with it. There are six and three quarter billion people in this world, and fifty one percent of them are girls. You Roll your eyes like I'm full of it, but I Google that shit. And if the world is four times bigger than the moon, then tell me how on earth did I find you with just two grains of sand blowing on the beach? Damn, that's deep. It's like fake God of the Big Bang. It's just one of the things that you can't explain. That we shouldn't have met I could have turned right when you turned left But the world's got a funny way of stacking the deck Don't forget Too much heartache, too many nights So many coulda, woulda, shoulda But you never tried I can't figure out if we were meant to be Or just crazy lucky It's like fake God of the Big Bang It's just one of the things that you can't explain business has changed so much is it just getting the you know, you know the music out there I, I think it i think it's i think it's it's vital for the most part you know you're not going to be uh on the same homepage on itunes or spotify or whatever as as uh post malone taylor swift you know? right you're an older fan you're not you two or coldplay you know you're a band and you have your fans and so it's just, but it, but it's and so you don't have that idea. Um, um, it, it's more about 
you know, you create and, and you have to, I mean, I, I'm always creating music and, and, and I, and I, and I value my fans so much and they want to hear new music. And, and in order to, to, to be vital and be relevant, you just gotta, you gotta make music. And it's not, it's just something you just do. And so really it's about getting your core fans, new music, re-engaging them, getting them excited and going on tour. You know, for me, my expectations for the solo record are showing that other side of my songwriting to the people who like Kevin Ezra and my music and it being a reason to go out and tour it being a reason and to, to talk to you and and it's just part of your career and and it's just it's what you do and, and you create and, and you evolve and um, but the, the, the maybe the I've got high hopes with everything and low expectations meaning I'm just uh, you know you've got to you got to kind of be realistic about where the business is and maybe where you where you stand in it, and uh, but we can't never let let that affect your creative process or or be a consideration when you're making music. And, and uh, you know, it, it's for me that the process of writing songs and making it, and putting it out, and sharing it, and playing it is uh, it's just it's just part of my DNA at this point. Right, so I guess your main moneymaker, so to speak, now what would be touring, with, you know, either solely or with, uh, with the band. I mean, look, I mean, I, I get it, my main thing is from so many different right. things. You know, it, it's songwriting, it's it's royalties from that. It's, of course, it's touring. It's uh, it's it's um, and then the other things that do in music, you know. But but I guess it really all just kind of. I, I, I think it's more songwriting, and that—that's the main, you know. And for most musicians, is the main breadwinner, I guess. But you know, it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's just part of. Uh, but if I only—if I only wrote, I think my songwriting, songwriting would suffer because I wasn't out playing live. And if I only played live and didn't songwrite, right? Well, then. It, it would all suffer, so it's got to be this balance, and they, and they all feed each other. Right. So when you're, you know, on this tour now, are you still going to be doing those impressions that are awesome? <laughs> oh hell yeah! Nice. You working any new ones? Or? Uh, uh, well, you got to come to the show. Oh okay. Oh okay. Tease. Okay. All right. I'm definitely going to try to do the uh, October one in, in New York, but. Your Dave Matthews is spot on. It is unbelievably funny. Uh, thank you, man. You know, once I start doing that fucking voice, I can't stop. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, okay, enough. You know. Yeah. Have, have you ever but heard? It's love. Yeah. I'm a big fan. It's made with respect. You know, it's an homage. Yeah. Have you ever heard from him about it? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I doubt he's ever heard. He's like, Ooh. right? I'm, I'm, I'm sure he's heard. Still around? Oh yeah, I'm sure he's heard. <laughs> now, um, like you also do amazing covers at you know during your concerts as well. But one of the covers you did was a great version of James's "Laid" on your uh, greatest hits album. How did, how did you decide? Oh, yeah. To, yeah, how did you decide on that song? Passion in love The neighbors complain about 
Caught your hand inside the till Slammed your fingers in the door Fought with kitchen knives and screws Dressed me up in women's clothes Messed around with gender roles Dyed my eyes and called me pretty did yeah it's, it's it's tremendous absolutely um yeah it's on the greatest hits album for anyone who wants to check it out um yeah last question just wanted to just talk about uh the better than ezra foundation a little bit oh sure 19 years ago we we, we uh which is crazy but in 2000 um we decided we wanted to do do something um to benefit multiple um, society because that's touched my family and different band members, family members, and it's such a such a ravaging disease and, and it touches a lot of people. And uh, and that was the first few year few years of the Better Than Ezra Foundation. Then we became a five hundred one c three and uh, and you know in two thousand five Katrina hit and when th- that happened we really decided to make the the, the goal or the main charge of the of BCE Foundation, which uh, to be um, support the city in its education and the arts, and uh, and really being a force for good in New Orleans and the Gulf Coast. While we still do stuff with MS, that's not our main thing anymore. We uh, we've adopted a school called um, Bethune Elementary, which is in the Holly Grove neighborhood of New Orleans, which is a very uh, uh, tough neighborhood for kids to to go to school safely and to have meals and, and supplies because it's just a financially strapped um, neighborhood and amazing parents and amazing people, but, you know, it's tough times. So we do an after-school program. Um, we bring supplies to the school. But other than that, we've, we've done the Splash Park and City Park and Audubon Park, the Audubon Zoo. And so the, the, uh, the work of Pilgrimage Festival continues you know, uh, if you're interested, you can go to btefoundation.org, check out what we do, donate some money. Um, sometimes you, you, you make a joke and you say, do it for the kids. <laughs> but in this instance, it it's really for the kids. Kid. Right. It's, we've become so tight with um, Mary Smith, who's the, the president of the, uh, the principal of the school, and, and, and those kids. 
kids and we've seen them go from, we've seen one class go from being in kindergarten to graduating high school. And it's just, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, we're just grateful to be able to be in a position to help out the school and the other projects we've done. You know, right after Katrina, we helped rebuild homes. We did it with Make It Right, uh, Make It Right Foundation, which is Brad Pitt's organization. We, um, we bought equipment from the fire department and the police department, helped with coastal restoration efforts. And, um, so it, it's a great organization. Check it out at btefoundation.org. Uh, that's great. Definitely a great cause. But Kevin, this was great. Thank you so much. Uh, anywhere you hey, go, my pleasure. yeah. Anywhere you go, October fourth, you can hear a couple songs already. Got off easy. Fantastic song, along with the video for Hacienda. If you want to see him go through L.A., you know, play guitar in a pool. It's in the video. Kevin, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. And a special thanks to Kevin for joining me today. Anywhere You Go comes out October 4th. If you want to follow him on Twitter, it's at Kevin M. Griffith. His website is Kevin Griffith Music at Better Than Ezra, betterthanezra.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at the first Noel 19 Be sure to like the page Living My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes, not a problem. Shows on SoundCloud. Go to livingmyyouth.threadless.com for all your merchandise. A new episode comes out every Wednesday. We'll see you next week.